everyone. It's good to see you. You should have all received a Highland newsletter. came out this week. If you did not or if you want a printed copy, there are some on the table over here, and there's also a pile of them on my chair over here if you want to get this before you go. And also on the table, we have some of the new devotionals for the fall. We have Pray the Vote. Doesn't tell you how to vote, just tells you how to pray into the vote. And we also have some booklets on praying the word, which I'm going to mention today. So I wanted to send you home with something to do that with. So someone said to me this week, I keep getting emails from, I thought was you, but it says Donna Jacobs on it. So I thought you should all know what Donna Jacobs looks like. Donna, can you stand up? Thank you, Donna. Donna has graciously stepped in where Betty needed to step back. And Betty has stepped back up in other areas, and uh, it takes a village. Praise the Lord. Okay, today we're looking at Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, and would open there, please. I think most of you have heard that our brother Chuck Williams is in the hospital quite seriously with congestive heart failure and the the hope is the prayer is that he'll be well enough to go into rehab tomorrow or the following day for a couple of weeks he he needs to be he because he's fallen a few times in the last month he hasn't been able to do any exercise at all and so there's a, just a lot of water accumulation so if you'll remember Chuck in your prayers and Mary of course and those of you that are praying thank you and I was talking to Mary yesterday she said oh we feel the prayers of the saints we feel it yeah you want to mention Barbara very loudly Okay. Why don't we pray together for Chuck and Barbara? Lord, there's no greater hands that we can put our loved ones into. And this morning we entrust into your hands Barbara Hull and her family, her future, her life right now. We ask you, as our divine physician, Adonai Rofei, the Lord, our healer, would you touch her body. Pray your presence will fill the room where she is and that her family, Mark Weibel, anyone else who's in and out, the doctors, the nurses, that they will all experience your peace and your presence while they're in there. And Lord, we also pray for Chuck and ask, Lord, that in your mercy you would enable him to be able to move and to exercise. 
Lord, we pray grace for this man. Thank you for how much he and Barbara have invested in the kingdom of God in the lives of so many people over so many years. And we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that their fruit would remain and that they would fulfill the number of their days, that they would not go home any earlier than you intend. We pray your care, your protection over them, your touch on their bodies, relief of the pain in Jesus' name. Amen. Men, okay, Ephesians 1, 15, he starts out saying, therefore. So, you know, we always look, what is the therefore, therefore? Let's read that whole verse. He says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Well, the therefore is referring to verse 13. He says, he's talking to the Ephesians. He says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And remember, last week, Reuben took us back to Acts 19, where, G, where uh, Paul arrived in Ephesus, and he found some believers, and he said, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, We have not even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Then what were you baptized into? And they said, Into the baptism of John. And he said, well, that baptism was for repentance, but Jesus has come and so forth. And so they were baptized into the name of Jesus. And then he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And it says they were sealed. They received or sealed with the Holy Spirit. So that's what he's, he says here. You trusted, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then 15, therefore... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, so now he's kind of referring back, but now there's been a time lapse. He says, now I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul mentions their love for all the saints. What about us? Is our love for all the saints so obvious that someone would hear about it and comment on it? Is your love for all the saints so obvious that someone would hear about it and comment on it to other people? Our faith in the Lord Jesus should result in our love and practical care for others, especially believers. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have opportunity, every time we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. This week I was talking with a friend of mine in England. Reuben and I do a lot of focus internationally on making disciples strategically, and she is very involved in disciple making. She's a former missionary and lives in England, is English. And as we were talking, she said, you know, when I hear of a need in the body of Christ, I assume it's my responsibility to meet it. And... She said, I heard of another missionary that has retired and is struggling with cancer. And she said, I heard that the chemo she needs is 2,000 pounds. So I emptied my bank account and I sent it to her. The other missionaries in South Africa. She said, I wired it to her in South Africa. She said, why would I hold on to money if someone in the body of Christ needs it? And you know, that fits right in with 1 John 3, 17. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and withholds his heart from him, how does the love of God 
abide in him. So our love for the Lord, our love for the saints, should be manifested by meeting needs when we see them. Okay, let's read verse 16 again. Do not cease. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul was thanking God for the Ephesian believers. He prayed for them continually. He also prayed for the believers in Rome. In Romans 1.9 says, For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul prayed for the believers in Colossae. Colossians 1.3 says, We give thanks to our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. He prayed for the Thessalonian believers. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. So these were people that Paul had met on his missionary journeys. He had invested in their lives through teaching and preaching and whatever other ministry they may have needed. And after now he's in prison writing this book, he's continuing to invest in their lives through prayer. So here's my question to you. Many of you have invested in many lives over the years. You've taught the word. You've taught Sunday school to children. You've taught the word to adults. You've discipled people, mentored people, reparented some people that needed parents. You've met people on mission trips. And so my, my challenge is, and my question is, are you still investing in them through prayer? See, God gives people in our lives for a season, a season of ministry. And in that season, we pour into them all that we can. But when that season ends, we don't forget them. We still pray for them. We still thank God for them. We have an ongoing responsibility because our covenant with God means we automatically have a covenant with them. And so we pray for them even when we're no longer ministering to them. So now it's hard, hey? You have to think back, all oh, the people I've invested into over the years, who have I dropped the ball on? Who am I not praying for? That the Lord is telling us today, reminding us, pray for those that you've invested in. Pray for those that you've, you've, that you've prayed with, that you've counseled with that you've taught, that you've met with privately and mentored. Keep praying for them because God is still at work in their lives. So then Paul gives us a really good prayer. This is the prayer he was praying for the Ephesians. We're going to read verses 17 through 20, and then we'll break it down. So verse 17, he says, um, I make mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is a great prayer to pray for people. So starting in verse 17, he says, the father of glory. So that word glory means dignity, honor, praise, and worship. Knowing who we are praying to causes us to pray with faith, 
with boldness and with humility. That's very important. We pray with humility. We do not demand things of the Almighty God, but we can declare and decree his word humbly and with boldness. Those two can go together. So we're addressing, when we pray, we're addressing the God of our Lord Jesus and the Father of glory and honor. Paul prayed that God would give to these believers the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing him. That word revelation means full disclosure, clear perception. So he's praying that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and full disclosure, clear perception in recognizing God, in knowing him in a full measure. God wants us to know him. He inspired this prayer. Hey, Paul, pray that they'll know me. Pray that they have revelation about me. So that's a prayer we can pray. We need an ever-increasing and expanding knowledge of God. And we, we study the Word and read the Word because we know that. And this way, the, we get to know a lot about the Lord as we read the Word. But we also grow intimate with Him as we fellowship with Him. It's as we hear His voice that the intimacy grows between us. That's when zeal and passion in our hearts for Jesus grows. It's hearing him, talking with him, communing with him throughout the day. It's having times that we set aside just to be with Jesus. And we encounter this one who loves our souls. And there's, a, there's an intimacy that springs forth out of that. So when the word without the spirit can be kind of dry. And the spirit without the word, sometimes we can get off into error. So we need both. We need the word of God and we need the Holy Spirit of God to give us wisdom and revelation in knowing him. So I suggest that you start praying that way over yourself every day. Lord, would you give me the spirit of wisdom and ongoing revelation from the Holy Spirit that I will know God my Father. The word revelation is used two times in scripture. It's important to distinguish them in order to avoid confusion in studying the word and to make sure we don't detour into error and humanism. The Bible is called the revealed word of God. It declares that the law and the prophets came about by revelation. It describes the whole Old and New Testament as revealed. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says every word of God is pure. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the 66 books in the Bible are called the closed canon. The closed canon are the books that meet the requirements to be considered divinely inspired. There's a difference between our having wisdom or revelation just directly from the Lord that we think might be from God and the difference between the revelation of God as revealed in the word of God, the closed canon of scripture. There are actually a lot of books that claim to be divinely inspired. But the Bible stands alone as complete and completely trustworthy. It is able to answer any question we have about eternal salvation and about practical wisdom concerning relationships, morality, conduct, or character. The Holy Spirit does give us wisdom and insight and understanding. We ask for that. We receive that. I'm sure you've experienced that and still are. But that revelation should not be considered as equal to the word of God. 
there have been false cults that have begun as a result of people who started in the word, but they began to get different revelations. And that to them became as important as the word and eventually became more important than the word. Mormonism came out of that. Jehovah's Witnesses came out of that. David Koresh and the Branch Davidians came out of that. And so there, there are dangers if we start lifting up our own revelations over the revealed word of God. So it's just a word of caution. Always measure any revelation you believe to be from God with the measuring stick of the entire Bible. We need to stay true to the closed canon of Scripture. You know, even in Jesus' day, there were several books in existence that are believed by some today to have been intended for the Old Testament. They thought they should have been part of the Old Testament. The most common ones are the ones we call the Apocrypha. And I think it's still in Catholic Bibles today between the books of Malachi and Matthew. They're not part of the closed canon. That's why they're not in our Bibles. But in the 64 times that Jesus quoted from the Old Testament, he never quoted from the Apocrypha. He only quoted from the closed canon of Scripture. Okay, let's move on. Verse 18. Paul prays that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know it is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So we pray that the eyes of their heart and their understanding would be flooded with light by the Holy Spirit so that they would know the hope to which God called them and they would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in them and for them. John Wesley explained that last phrase this way. What an immense treasure of blessedness he has provided as an inheritance for holy souls. We don't talk that way anymore, do we? <laughs> but I like it. What an immense treasure of blessedness he has provided as an inheritance for holy souls. So that verse 18 in the New Living Translation is a little bit easier to understand. It says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the wonderful future he has promised to those he called. I want you to realize what a rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his people. And then in verses 19 and 20, Paul prayed that they would know the exceeding, excelling greatness of God's power toward believers. And the word for power here is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. It is explosive, miraculous power and strength. It's the same word used in Acts 1.8 when Jesus said to the disciples, when he was telling them to wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father was given to them, he said, but you will receive power, dunamis power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, Judea, and to all the ends of the earth. That explosive power they would receive when the Holy Spirit came on them, which we see in Acts chapter 2. And here Paul is praying that the believers would know that power that explosive dynamite power. The last verse of the last part of verse 19 says, 
according to the working of his mighty power. Now that phrase, according to, it occurs five times in Ephesians chapter 1. And it means in the same measure as or to the exact degree. So Paul was praying that the Father of glory would grant these believers to know the exceeding greatness of his power to them, which is to the exact degree in the same measure of his power at work when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in authority over all things invisible and visible. That same power is for and toward us who believe. That's amazing, isn't it? It's, that is mighty power. He wants us to know it. He wants us to experience it. So I'm going to read again, 19 and 20. What I want you to know, I'm praying that you will know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. That's the power. God seated Jesus far above, far above, not just a little bit above, far above all principality, all authority, all power, and all dominion. These are terms that are used for the ruling authority in heavenly realms, both the evil authorities and the godly authorities. You know, there's a hierarchy of angels. There's a hierarchy of satanic forces, too. We're going to read a few of those passages. New Testament reveals this invisible hierarchy of evil powers who deceive and manipulate human behavior to advance satanic strategies. We're seeing some of that in the streets of our nation today. Where we're not, we don't, the word says we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against these supernatural demonic powers. So that's why we always need to be engaged in spiritual warfare at some level because the devil never quits. So we as God's people can't quit either. We need to keep resisting him. So there's this hierarchy of evil powers who deceive and manipulate human behavior. And Jesus and his committed people have authority over these powers, an authority that's demonstrated and sustained by spiritual warfare. Uh, let's go to Luke 10, 19. Hold your place here. We're going to look at a few other scriptures. Luke 10, 19. This will be a familiar passage to you. Jesus said, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's the authority he gave his disciples. That's the authority he gives us as his modern disciples today. And then go back to Ephesians. Let's look at chapter 6. Ephesians 6, 11 through 13 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemings of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Now, when Jesus was crucified, the demons didn't die. They still haven't died. They, there are still principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So in verse 13, he says, Therefore, because of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he goes through and talks about each piece of the armor of God that we need to be wearing every day. This is important to be fully dressed for warfare. And then let's go to 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Second Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience to Christ. So our spiritual weapons are mighty in God. They are strong for pulling down strongholds of the enemy. Jesus has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. Let's read on in verses 22 from Ephesians 1. We're moving back there. Verse 22, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God has put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ, and he has installed him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Jesus is the head of all guidance, all government, and all influence to the body as a whole and to each member in it individually. He is our head. We are his body. We are the expressed fullness of Jesus who feels all in all. That's a blessed responsibility that we have. We're filled with the life of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and he has assigned us to represent him to society. That's our assignment. We are his body walking about in the earth. We do that by ministering his life, his love, and his power. So the primary thrust of the book of Ephesians is to show that the church, the Lord's body, is the present physical presence of Jesus Christ in the earth. I'm going to say that again. The focus of the book of Ephesians is to show that the church, we the church, the body of the Lord, is the present physical presence of Jesus Christ in the earth. So again, it's a major responsibility. It's an honor. When we signed up and accepted Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, we are actually signing up for the army of God. And we are always on call. He can wake us up in the middle of the night to pray about something if he wants. He can get us up early. He can keep us up late. We belong to the master, and he is the head, and he calls the shots. This life is not about us and him making us comfortable. It's about him and us serving him for his glory. So let's go back to verses 17 through 21, and we're going to pray this prayer. This is a good prayer to pray every day for people. I'm going to pray this first over us, and then I'm going to pray it over our family members. So agree with me as I pray. 
Father, we approach you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory. Lord, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you, that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding. I pray that we would know the hope of your calling and the riches of your glorious inheritance in us and for us. I pray that we would know the exceeding greatness of your power. May we know personally the working of your mighty power, which you showed in Jesus when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in heavenly places. I pray this in the name of Jesus, which is above every other name. Amen. All right, now let's pray it for our family members. You can see how fast this is. You could pray it for individual family members if you have the time in a small family. <laughs> Father of glory, I pray that you would give our family members the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you. Lord, we, we see them in our minds, our brothers, sisters, cousins, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, our parents. Lord, we pray that you would give every one of them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you. Would you enlighten the eyes of their understanding? I pray they will know the hope of your calling and the riches of your glorious inheritance in them and for them. I pray that they will know the exceeding greatness of your power. May they know personally the working of your mighty power, which you showed in Christ Jesus when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in heavenly places. Lord, may they experience that power, walk in that power, express that power, and release that power in the places where they walk and serve. Lord, I pray all this in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every other name, the name that's worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all of our love. Amen. Okay, so what can we take from our study today? Number one, I'm going to give you six points that will go too fast for you to write down, I'm sure. Uh, but you can write down a, a word or you can ask me for these notes later and that will be Donna's job to send them to you. <laughs> Thank you, Donna. So what can we take away from our study? Number one, that our faith in Jesus should result in our loving others. We need to do good to all, especially to believers when we can. We need to keep praying for those God has assigned to us in ministry, those we're currently involved with and those that we have been involved with in the past. We need to thank God for them and pray for them. When we pray, we address the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory. He is the Father of honor, praise, and worship. Knowing who we are praying to helps us pray with faith, boldness, and humility. The Holy Spirit gives us insight, wisdom, and understanding, but that revelation should not be considered as equal to the closed canon of the Holy Scriptures. Always measure any, any revelation you believe is from God to the measuring stick of the entire Bible. Number four, Jesus is seated far above all principality, authority, power, and dominion. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. God has put all things under his feet, and we are his body, the fullness of Jesus. He is our head. And we do what our head tells us to do. Number five, Jesus has assigned us to represent him to society. We are to minister his life, love, and power. Our lives bear witness that the Messiah has come 
and has provided redemption for all who will believe. We are a walking testimony of the salvation of Jesus. People should be able to see it in our lives, even see it in our faces. They should be able to see the Father in our eyes because he's loving them through us. So, you know, prayerfully, we will get to a place where we have decreased significantly and Jesus has increased significantly in our lives where when people encounter us, they encounter the Lord. That's what we're after. I believe that's what happened with the disciples and with Paul. You know, here Paul is in prison and he's thanking God and he's praying for people. He's praying for the churches and he's, he's praying for individuals. And he, he says in one of his epistles, he says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't even blame Rome for putting him in prison. I'm the prisoner of Jesus. You know, sometimes we blame people for our circumstances. But maybe God put us there for the purpose of stripping off the things that can be shaken so that only the things that cannot be shaken will remain. God is still doing a work in our lives. We started out talking in March when the pandemic first came that God wanted a reset, a recalibration in our lives. He does not want us to do life as we have been doing it. He wants to bring us to a new level of walking with him, hearing his voice, being filled with the Holy Spirit, doing what he's called us to do in the power of the Spirit. He's calling churches to do church a different way. I believe he wants cities to do things different ways. God is looking at us, and we need to keep our eyes on him to follow what is the leading of the Spirit. You know, Jesus talked about not putting new wine into old wineskins. And the Lord wants to put some new wine, some new life, some new authority, some new blessing and anointing in our lives. Let's make sure we're not the old wineskins, that we're not, the, we don't have the same attitudes and we don't keep falling into the same sins and we don't have the same restrictions, the same borders. Let's not put God in a box and let's not put ourselves in a box. Let's not put each other in a box. God wants to do new things. So let's welcome the new, and let's, let's allow him to work us over so that we can become a new wineskin for the new wine he wants to pour out. And then lastly, number six, Paul gives us an exemplary prayer that we can use. We need to learn this prayer. We need to pray it over ourselves and others. You always pray God's will when you pray his word. And that's why I brought these books today on praying his word. This one is praying his word over your city. One of the others is praying his word over your family, praying his word over your future. So there's different, they're all scriptures and then prayers based out of those scriptures. So if, if it's uncommon, unusual for you to pray the word, this would be a good way to start. So let's pray this prayer again. This time we're going to pray it over our daughters, our natural daughters, our spiritual daughters, and our daughters-in-law, and our granddaughters, okay? Father of glory, I pray that you would give to my daughter, pray this in your heart, Lord, I pray you would give this to my daughter, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you. Lord, would you enlighten the eyes of her understanding? I pray she would know the hope of your calling. She'd know the riches of the glory of your inheritance in her and for her. 
Lord, may she know the exceeding greatness of your power, which you showed when you raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at your right hand in heaven. You raised him far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named in this age and in the age to come. I pray she will know that power in the name of Jesus. Lord, would you come upon her in the power of the Holy Spirit, that she will know your calling in her life. She'll have the unction to walk in it. She will fulfill the destiny you've put before her in Jesus' name. We have time. Let's pray for our sons, your sons, your grandsons, your spiritual sons. God of our Lord Jesus Christ and Father of glory, we approach you boldly before the throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you that you've washed us in your blood, Jesus. Thank you that you have conferred upon us righteousness and holiness, sanctification. You've broken the power of sin off of our lives, and we can come before your throne of grace with boldness. And so we do that today. Father of glory, we pray, would you give to our sons the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you? Lord, would you enlighten the eyes of their understanding? I pray, Lord, that they will know the hope of your calling and the riches of the glory of your inheritance in them and your inheritance for them. May they know the exceeding greatness of your power, which you showed when you raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at your right hand in heaven. Lord, I pray against a mediocre Christian life. I pray for a power-filled life for our sons. You raised Jesus far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named in this age and in the age to come. Lord, I pray our sons will rise up above the temptations of this world, the trials of this world. They'll set their affections on things above. They will walk tall in the kingdom of God, and they will know the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I pray they will pray in the name of Jesus. They will live in the name of Jesus. They will take ground from the enemy. Even today, Lord, we agree in prayer for the many rioters and protesters. These are people's sons and daughters. And, Lord, we stand in the gap for these sons and daughters and ask, Lord, that you would give to them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you, that you would enlighten the eyes of their understanding, that they would know the hope of your calling and the riches of your glory, of your inheritance. I pray, Lord, they would know your power. They would know your salvation. They would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They would see the love of God in some of the people that are around them. They would know that they know that they know that they're in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. I pray they will line their lives up with righteousness and with justice. I pray they will know the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, so much more powerful than the power of evil, so much more powerful than the power of carnality. Lord, pour out your spirit on these sons and daughters that are in the streets of our nation today. Lord, they, they, they have no idea that they're about to face revival. Lord, I pray a revival will sweep through our land, 
Thank you for what's already happening. Thank you for the hundreds that are being saved on the coastlands right now, the hundreds that are being saved in Portland. Thank you, Lord, that you are raising up a standard of righteousness where there is evil and where there's violence. I pray for these people, Lord God. May they encounter the love of God and the grace of Jesus and be born again of your spirit. May there be a move of your spirit in every city today where there is a riot today. Be glorified in this nation. Be glorified in our states and in our cities. Lord, I pray you would lay an axe to the root of the witchcraft that is behind all this. In Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus. The name that is above every other name in this age and in the age to come. We pray in that name. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We almost need to sing something. I, I think we could sing and guide the wrong again. That's fine. Let's sing in Christ alone again. Don't forget to pick up things on these tables as you leave. <laughs>